0: So the first step, actually, in resolving a situation, a conflict that's going to come up, whether it's physical or argumentative, is observing and allowing. It's literally acknowledging what's going on here. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Pleasure to be with you again, Howie. Good to see you, mate.
1: Yeah, and I'm happy to be on Sistema for Life.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not for the first time.
1: It was good. Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, so, we've, uh, we're in an interesting situation. We've got a, a pandemic or a hoax. <laughs> we've got, um, you know, racial justice protests or anarchy. Mm-hmm. We've got um, people. Stuck at home, we've got a lot of fear. We've got a lot of um, uh, conflict, mm. and um, I think well, you know we've we've had conversations offline, getting into the details. But what I would love to talk to you today about is healing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It- <laughs> It's a, it's a it's a wild and interesting time to be a stress or wellness coach I think it's, it's not all of the problems we wanted but it seems like we've got a duty and a responsibility to, to rise to this
1: yeah so let's let's just start with your your take like where where are we and what is it doing to people
0: obviously um, we're in the midst of a lot of confusion and for the most part the overwhelming emotions seem to be anger um frustration and just kind of ongoing either confusion or people just kind of on purpose trying to seek some sort of certainty and in doing that pushing themselves towards one narrative or another Um, and you know if we can get into the politics of of how that gets pushed and the ways in which people get pushed and pulled around but i think other people have talked about that at length and we're all kind of fairly aware of how we're manipulated by politicians or by interest groups or by social media and stuff like that um so that's not really what i'm interested in what i'm interested in is what's the way forward here? What's the way out? You know, if you're confused and angry and you're not sure how best to act, what you should acknowledge and to what extent, um, and what should be driving your behavior. Um, People, people want some, some positive thing to do with all this emotion, right? It's not enough just to say, close your eyes, breathe and go to your happy place because all this shit's there again tomorrow, right? So, (laughs) so it's not gonna, it's not gonna last very long, even less time than it normally does, right? Normally you can, maybe you can get away with a couple of days of that until something major happens. But in these times, something major seems to be happening every 20 minutes. You know, it's like the history is accelerating for some reason uh, in, in 2020. Um, so, so what I'm interested in really is like, where do we go from here how do we how do we sort out what's real and what isn't real how do we best not only change behaviors in ourselves but encourage others to change behaviors in a way that would be helpful to solving the whole situation to healing ourselves and healing others um and and then what kinds of things do we really want to avoid do we know are are going to be terrible ideas during this time so that's what I'm focusing on right now. I'm trying. To, I'm the pragmatist, right? I'm trying to find the way through.
1: Yeah, because you know, I've um, I have been for the last probably several months, but certainly the last several weeks, I have been uh, fueling myself with outrage. Yeah, and it feels really good, mm-hmm. and I get a lot of positive feedback. Yeah, on so specifically on social media mm-hmm. for outrage. Yeah. um and I'm also a healer yeah right I'm all, which means that if, if somebody came to me um and said I would like healing the first thing I would not do is jump down their throat about their views their beliefs yeah. even even their harmful actions I would approach it with a much more compassionate eye yeah and like what what <clears throat> what I'm realizing is that I've um, I need to jump off the outrage train, hmm. and at the same time, um, there's narratives i bought into that feel like jumping off the outrage train is a betrayal. Yeah, of the people on behalf of whom I have been feeling the outrage.
0: Yeah, and and, and you can see, I've absolutely, I've absolutely suffered from the same thing. I think I've vacillated between wanting to be kind of like a voice for reason and calm and like, everybody just stay cool and calm down. Can't we all just get along? Right. But if you use that narrative in light of say, you know, the, the revelations of kind of systemic racism, depending on how far you want to kind of acknowledge that and the extent of it then saying hey it's no problem we should all just learn to get along is kind of denying the reality of people who don't have that option right (laughs) that are being persecuted and are on the on the bad end of this problem right it's not so easy to snap your fingers and say hey just forgive everybody there's no real imbalance there's no inequality here it's okay we can get along clearly that's not true so it does feel like a betrayal and the same thing is true of covid to an extent you know it's like there's one part of me that says which knows actually you know on on a biological level that panic cannot and can never be the best response to this and that just raging at people who don't wear masks and raging at people who want to get back to you know some semblance of being able to support themselves and their families and that kind of stuff just raging at them wholesale is is not going to help because it's it's not going to create the right environment for me to understand what's going on and it's not going to help anybody else either right so Panic can't be the place that we start from. Panic and anger can't be the place we start from. But again, I feel like if I take my foot off the gas on this, and there's, I, th- I don't know, at what point I decided my role in this was to try and be some sort of arbiter for information on the internet. It's ridiculous. There's billions of people, and I have no influence, right? So, but, but in my own mind, that if I don't speak up about um, my support, for example, for Black Lives Matter, or if I don't speak up for my support for um, you know scientifically based um, recommendations for social distancing and things like that, that I'm somehow complicit um, in helping people to become more desperate, less healthy, and and perpetuating the problems, right? So it's this idea of kind of you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, right? Um, and this is where the, the shame and the guilt already starts to come into it.
1: Yeah, like a, a, the, an example for me was when I, when I saw the video of Amy Cooper, the woman in New York who called the cops on um, the black man who was birding, yeah. When you know, she was the one whose dog was off leash. Yeah. Um, so the narrative, which I think is a true one, is like she's playing a race card. She's playing a very dangerous game. Yeah. She's knowingly using her privilege. Um, we know what, how that story often ends. And yeah. yet when I saw it for the first time, the thing that stood out for me was her trauma. Yeah. And and I immediately criticized myself for for seeing that. Mm. Because, like her, you know, like what about his trauma? What about the trauma of the victims? Sure. A, but 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 when I see, like you know, I was down at a at a rally um, in Pittsburgh before they took down the statue of the Confederate soldier, and the, mm. you know, all the right people were on one side, and all the wrong people were on the other side, mm. and. um you know, to see, like, to look at them in the face and see, okay, these are people largely obese, they they definitely look diabetic, Mm. like, poor, miserable, like, I was almost, like, feeling ashamed for having empathy for people whom I see as on the wrong side of an issue.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a problem, isn't it? It really is a problem for all of us, because as soon as I think we give into that, then we shut down the possibility of conversation and reconciliation. No, even if we're not looking to, even if we can't do anything as helpful as heal somebody else, if we want to move at all on an issue, if we want to have any kind of path forward, then we have to come to some sort of understanding. And even if we don't come to an agreement, right? Even if I don't agree with your views on Confederate statues, or I don't agree with your views on masks wearing or something like that, right? We, at some point we have to keep talking long enough for that to come to a useful resolution, right? Even if it's one that neither party is quite happy with, but at least gets most people to do the right thing or something like that, you know? Um, and if we, if we completely deny that instinct toward empathy, which I think we have, I think we have to fight to push that down and replace it with something else. I don't, I don't think fear is the strongest um, mm. motivator that we have. I, I think we're deeply social animals and we want to engage with other people first um, and if that engagement fails then we default to fear or fighting or other stuff like that right it's, it's that engagement is critical on the front end um, but what we're seeing is that I, th- I think there's a the situation is making it difficult to do that right it's 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 very very easy to just become polarized and jump into one group or another and not because you want to demonize the other side but because you want to mark yourself out as one of the good guys and and to not take a stand and to not um to not unequivocally just support the people on who you initially viewed as being on the right end of this argument is to betray the entire issue and and that's difficult because sometimes the issues can change right sometimes you can watch a video on youtube and it looks like some cop has brutalized somebody, right? Um, and sometimes that's, it's as simple as that. There was there was a, He was a bad cop and he brutalized somebody and he should be held accountable and all that kind of thing. And then sometimes you see the full YouTube clip and you realize there's a different context to it, right? And he was surrounded mm-hmm. and a bunch of other things happened first and he was defending himself. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of proportion of clips... Would be, would be shown in kind of a, a greater context like that. But the problem is that maybe, let's say like 99% of the videos are just as they they look exactly as they are. It's, it looks like brutality and it turns out to be brutality and racism. But let's say like 1% of the videos, you're watching one and you see something in it that makes you go, wait a minute, that's that's not quite right. He's not doing what it, what everybody's saying he's doing. And if you don't allow yourself that possibility for empathy with the assumed perpetrator, then you just shut yourself off to any other narrative at all. And I think that makes not only does it stop that conversation, but it also makes you very vulnerable to being misled, right? Um, very vulnerable to being pushed further down the outrage train by whichever side it is. And even if it's a good intention side, that can still lead to some bad places sometimes, I think.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Zimbardo's, I think, experiments Mm. or no, no, somebody else. Um, not the prison nope. experiment. not the prison, not, not, not Milgram, not Zimbardo. Yeah. Uh, it'll come to me at some later point and I'll put it in the show notes. If you don't remember right. um, the experiments where one person, they were all being asked questions Mm. About very obvious things like which line is longer or what color is this, and all the confederates of the experimenter gave the wrong answer, and then it came around to the actual subject, Mm. and like seventy percent of the time, the person gave a clearly wrong answer Mm. to fit in.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a powerful there's a powerful um group bias in that, right? And a, a kind of group selection bias where it's more important. Emotionally for us to fit in as social animals than it is for us to be correct (laughs) Things like that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and so what I'm feeling is like I feel I definitely feel there's Parts of my being that are good and right and strong and courageous in taking the stands that I'm taking Hmm. And it's also mixed up with a lifelong pattern of people pleasing Yeah of losing myself in order to be approved of like mm. things that go back to my earliest memories of childhood, so yeah. that part part of my goodness in the world is entwined with an individual pathology.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's that's a difficult insight to have. That's um, for for a lot of people, I think. Um, and I think it's it's easy to kind of point the finger and sort of say, yeah, that's you, and maybe you had a. a a childhood full of pathologies mine was great i'm pretty stable and i haven't got anything like that but but in reality if like neuroscience has taught us anything and psychology has taught us anything is that we're all kind of a patchwork of our past experiences um positive and negative and and we're continually kind of adding to that narrative and spinning little yarns to reassure ourselves like as whole people um and and if we don't see that then it's going to be difficult to kind of get out of those narratives i think that's yeah it's it's a really tricky thing and it and it's also tied up with the ways in which of course i mean in obvious ways in which our parents or like authority figures responded to certain things as we grew up right i mean an obvious one would be if you had you know, like a parent or a grandparent that was a thinly veiled racist. right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and they were just kind of saying racist things. They, they weren't overtly like abusing um, people of color or something like that, but they were just using racist terms flippantly and just kind of generally stereotyping about um, black people being lazy or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's easy again, that people pleasing thing of just wanting to be, um, you know, part of the gang um mm-hmm. and p- pleasing your dad or your granddad and going along with that even though there's some part of you on the inside which is like yeah i don't quite think that i know a couple of black guys and they seem pretty cool and they're not lazy at all and this is at odds there's some dissonance here but i'm just going to go with this for the time being and then that can become a habit which is reinforced later on in the societal yeah. groups that you move through to the extent that you never really call anything out when you see it and you just make a habit of pleasing the people around you and going on with whatever they say and obviously that has repercussions on a larger scale i mean, i was really actually um I was really moved by your recent Plant Yourself podcast with your uh, friend and business partner, Josh LeJornie and his brother, Dustin, is it? His brother? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on the previous episode, for those who haven't heard it. Um... Which I thought was excellent in, in that they grew up in, um, was it Louisiana? They're in like Southern Louisiana? Yeah. 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 And uh, and a kind of like, you know, standard redneck Cajun hunting, fishing, F-150 truck driving boys, you know, <laughs> and they have these wide kind of country accents and all that kind of stuff. And they used to be like 400 pounds, eat all the meat, do all the things, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and they, they've talked a lot about their journey from, you know, uh, from obesity and bad habits into, you know, um, into better health and more compassion just generally in their lives and the way that they treat themselves and others, right? And how that kind of led into an understanding that, you know, some of the racism and things that were surrounding them growing up were not okay, that they were a part of it and they had to change themselves and their their ideas. And there, there was something deeply moving about listening to two guys, not who were like intellectuals pontificating about racism on some kind of objective level, you know, reading through like a history of things or, or even of like a, a super intellectual black author who's um, speaking about things that we need to be hearing about and listening to It was like okay yeah you understand and the super intellectual professor of african american studies even though he's white he might understand too so he's worth listening to but listening to two kind of rednecks talking about their conversion story was um was deeply moving to me i was just like well if these guys can find a way to to see through this kind of thing then there's got to be hope for all of us to to have that deeper self-understanding that leads to To the kinds of behavior changes that that they achieved, and there's no doubt that they're they're living in a better place now, right? That they're happier for those changes, right? I'd like to take a minute to thank everyone who has contributed to the show, all our listeners, and to everyone who's offered requests, encouragement, and feedback along the way. I also need to ask a quick favour. We have already enjoyed two years of high-quality interviews, insights, and ideas on Systema of a Life. We'd like to keep the show going, and we want to keep it open to all, but we need your help to do it. It takes time, effort, and more than little cash to produce a podcast. More than two grand a year at current hosting and production rates. We have no paid advertising, and we do it all off our own backs, with help from listeners and generous supporters like you. So if you're a fan of Systema for Life, and you get real value from the ideas and the conversations we create, then please take a few minutes now to subscribe at www.ncsystema.com support. Support at whatever level you feel like you can afford. Even $3 or $5 a month is a help. Think of it as buying us a beer or a cup of coffee once a month for our travels. So visit ncsystema.com support and use the buttons on the page to select your preferred monthly or annual support level. You'll receive a confirmation on sign-up, and you can cancel at any time. Your support really does help ensure the survival of the show. With gratitude,
1: thank you very much. I think that's the key, is that it's about, you know, when we increase our self-understanding, we can be more effective. Because what I've seen, like, I know a lot of people in sort of the healing and recovery community, um, which I consider myself to be a part of, not that I had a an addiction that anyone could, you know, could pinpoint and say bad, like my addictions were mostly socially acceptable or, or celebrated. Sure. Um, but like when when Mia, when my wife says something that hurts my feelings, and I go into a rage, it's mm. easy for me to step back from that and say, oh, that would that triggered an implicit memory of when I was a small boy, and my mother couldn't gaze at me properly, because she was a Holocaust survivor, and she was stressed out. And mm. like, oh, that was the fear. Of abandonment. Let me mm. um, let me work on that. Whereas it's much more seductive to have the same response of rage to a social justice issue that's out there, mm. and never question if there's anything other than you know pure goodness in me that makes me want to you know scream and, and shout. So, so what's the difference
0: in those two situations? You think? Do you think it's just that in the one? you can identify, you know, Mia as one individual doing one thing and to maintain your anger at her you have to kind of find a reason, right? <laughs> right? And uh, and you have to kind of outsource the blame to her for making you angry and all that kind of stuff. But when it's one to many, when it's a whole bunch of people talking about an issue, whether it's people campaigning for to wear masks or people campaigning to, you know, pull down Confederate statues or whatever it's going to be, right? It, is it harder to maintain that idea that it might be you in that instance, where it's easier to outsource it to a whole bunch of bad people than it is to one?
1: Yeah, I th- I, th- I think the problem is that, I mean, you know, I feel I'm guilty, right? Like, I feel like I haven't done enough. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I, I keep going, I'm very good at like remembering every bad thing I ever did. Yeah. Right. Like I, I can remember like when I wrote the t- the essay in 10th grade that sort mm-hmm. of insulted my teacher like, and I can still like feel flushed with shame for like, you know, like the low, the, the low lights reel of my life plays yeah. in front of my eyes on a regular basis. Sure. And so like when it's a social justice issue, I think there is a justification, like it's clearer to me that there's a right and a wrong side. Yeah. And, um, and that I haven't always been stepping up on the right side. And so it almost feels like, well, now that's got to end. Yeah. And and yet the the I'm not helpful, right? I'm talking to the same people on Facebook who follow me, the people who, you know, there are people who have um, unsubscribed from Plant Yourself because they didn't like that episode. So I'm never going to talk to them again. Even some people who liked it wrote to me and said, you know, I think you're not coming from a place of love here. Hmm and i was like fuck you i'll right. show yeah. you she you wrote, know, what we should love we should have loved hitler like i, I could feel sure. all all the arguments and yet yeah. there's a point that i don't know how you know useful i am in the echo chamber and it does feel very shame and guilt driven
0: yeah so uh, so let's some um, let's have a look at that at the moment and just just sort of see is there ever because it's often said that um you know, guilt and shame are useless emotions and you just shouldn't have them. My brother famously lived his whole life this way. He's like, he would say this. He's like, I don't do guilt. It's like, and he wouldn't pay lip service to it. He wouldn't just suppress it and claim that he didn't feel guilty about things. Like he made a point of not feeling shame or guilt. He's like, I made a decision, and if it was a bad one, I have to live with those consequences, and I have to make it up to people or learn from it and make better decisions in the future. But I'm not going to continue to feel bad about that decision. He like he just mm-hmm. trained himself, I think, to do that. And in some ways, that made him a much happier person <laughs> than some of the some of the rest of us, you know. But there's there is a there is a function to guilt and shame. Do you know what I, mean? well, I, I know about guilt specifically but definitely in the emotion of shame right it, shame elicits the same responses um in terms of the nervous system as fear does right almost the same responses there's there's some slight changes in kind of the the color of it you know and the, and the the way that we experience it of course and even people have tried to map out subjectively how shame feels different in terms of temperature balance in the body right like the um, fear feels like kind of like a, a deep rising in the stomach or something like that and shame feels mm. like a coldness in the chest right where well, you're going colder and things like that so there's some really interesting experiments that have tried to tease apart the subjective sensations of those two things but on a neurological level both of these are um, processed by the limbic system right um and in structures either in the in around the, the amygdala, I think the insula specifically in the, within the limbic system is the structure that's most closely related to shame. And in people, for example, who have, have like traumatic childhoods who are repeatedly shamed in kind of like a toxic way, where they're just told they're bad kids and they'll never amount to anything and they're awful and they're dirty or something like that. Um, neurologically, like when you scan their brains later in life, they have this enlarged insula. This one structure. And then interestingly, it starts to wither faster and it starts to degrade faster with age and sh- and shrink and lead to other kinds of problems when they get older. Um, but the, the important thing to realize about this is that it's there for a reason, right? And and that like a, a stark example might be if my kid, Cora, um, she's like three years old and she's very, very prone to just running into danger right just like she's fearless unfortunately the other one is very very cautious Cora's fearless and just runs jumps off of things and then worries about there's going to be something to land on afterwards right Um, (laughs) and, and she's when we go out for a walk in our neighborhood right and she's constantly just like running into the street and back out again and like some SUV is coming down the road and we're like Cora Cora right we have we try and do it like quietly at first so it's not to startle her or something but then uh, there comes a point where you're like yeah this is not the time for a, like a slow let's connect with the child and redirect and then mm-hmm. you know, there's a time when you just have to shout at them to freeze or move right because you haven't got that kind of time um, and in that instance it can feel terrible sometimes when you shout no at a kid when they're running out to the road they freeze and in terror the sympathetic nervous system fires up they feel genuine terror and then they start crying right they're, they're just like you shouted at me and like, I didn't know what, mm-hmm. what was... I didn't know what there was to be scared of and it seemed terrible. And sometimes you think I overreacted. Maybe that was too much. I didn't have to make her cry. But there's a function to that, right? When she freezes that way, and the sympathetic nervous system is activated, right um, she actually stores that memory so that next time you shout "No, she will just freeze. She'll stop physically and it's way less likely that she'll run into a road, jump into a pool, electrocute herself or any number of other things that Cora tries to do every week, right, <laughs> right. Way, right?
1: so or, or she'll she'll associate the street with that shame and you won't even have to shout no.
0: maybe, yeah, yeah, at some point, but but definitely. In the short term, at least she starts to associate that loud noise and the no with I should freeze, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's designed to create a freeze response, right? It's designed to create a like stop what you're doing, um, for your own good type response. And mm-hmm. that can be helpful. The, the key in this is that if you do that to a child and then they burst out crying and then you continue shouting like, I told you to do that. You're an idiot. You should have stopped, right? And then you walk away and you don't help them deal with their. Fear and their um, their sympathetic arousal, right? Then basically they're just kind of left with like a twitchy, hyper aroused um, sympathetic nervous system, and they don't figure out how to calm themselves down after something like that. And then they get into this what's been called like um, kind of like a a dance of arousal and fear. Eventually, right? They'll come across situations where. Uh, Somebody will shame them or somebody will be like, no, you shouldn't have done that. It might be a boss. It might be a partner or something later in life. And, And they're sympathetically aroused. They get the fear. They're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But then they don't know how to calm themselves down. And then that leads one of a couple of ways. Either they kind of hide in plain sight and they'll stop looking at people. They'll try and shrink physically and make themselves invisible. Or they'll react with aggression, right, back at the person who shamed them. Um, they're like how dare you say that to me that scared me you have no right to scare me and abuse me verbally that way right and this becomes important on this scale because if you're using if you're feeling guilt if you're feeling shame about something because you've read about a few things or something like that and and you're like okay well there's there's something that needs to be acted on here then it might be useful in some ways right when you read something it might be like a cold hard slap in the face from like a, from somebody from, from a scientist. For example, I've read, um, or talked to friends who work in emergency rooms under COVID, right? Um, and if you ever start to think that COVID is just like the flu and it's no, you know, it's no worse, just talk to somebody who's had to work in an emergency room trying to keep 20 people alive on ventilators. Like they're playing a, a horrendous game of whack-a-mole, you know, like where they mm-hmm. basically just have to kind of keep going between them, attempting to keep these people alive for a little bit longer. And it's terrible. And the, the way that it affects the body. So yeah, it it's, It's not enormously dangerous to a a vast amount of people in the country who are otherwise healthy, although we don't know all of the ins and outs of it. But if you do get it, it is not the flu. It is not the flu at all, right? If you suffer from right. symptoms, it's a completely different... It's 20 times deadlier than the flu in that sense, right? Um, So for me, like if ever I started to think, eh, yeah, yeah, well, there might be like some herd immunity and maybe we let this thing play out and it enters the cyclic thing of flu see- you know, season and all that kind of stuff, all I have to do is read one of those or talk to one of my friends who is actually a doctor working on the front lines and it's like smack. It's a smack in the face and it's like, okay, yeah, I shouldn't be thinking that way. I should stop and think about the ways that I'm kind of running on and it's no good. But on the flip side, if somebody tries to create that emotion of shame in you, if they try and shame you for not being anti-racist enough, if they try and shame you for not wearing a mask everywhere with your family at every second, if they shame you for intoning that you might want to go back to work at some point and not take handouts from the government, do you know what I mean? Or that kind of thing then it creates, it's a different thing. And you can get into that same response. You'll either go, oh, well, there's hopeless then. I shouldn't do anything. And you just kind of shrink into yourself and start to feel that there's no way out of this situation. Or, and this is critical, you start to turn your aggression back on the shamer. So Mm -hmm. the person who told you that you need to be, you know, more active in anti-racism, you're like, I'm not racist. How dare you, right? And we can't equate those two things. So it's not just that equivalency bias of people can't be told they're bad people. Racists are bad people, ergo, I can't be racist, right? It's not just that. It's also just on a neurological level. When you try to shame me, I have one of a couple of responses to that. And usually it's not going to be compliance. It's going to be freeze or it's going to be fuck you. Right? <laughs> it's going to be, how dare you try and shame me? Right. So that's the problem. It's, um, it's that tactic can and, and will never work. And uh, I've had to learn this, I think, the hard way. And I'm still learning it. You know, that I've, I've put, again, put things on the internet or responded to people's comments. When I've when they've said something or shared something that I felt is irresponsible in some way, right? Particularly with mm-hmm. in relation to COVID and stuff like that. Um, And sometimes sometimes I feel like it was coming from a good place, like there's a a needed correction here because people will read this and it's better that I just park this evidence on the page and let people read it. But sometimes my comments weren't offered in that spirit, right? (laughs) They're offered in the spirit of outrage and like, how dare you suggest that I'm an idiot or I don't care about, you know, people going back to work or stuff like that, right? I felt like, again, justice was on my side and therefore I had to shame them and then they would see the error of their ways and they'll go the other way. Not seeing in that instant that that's just about the worst tactic that I could use in order to try and get my message across. The message might be right. The tactic was horribly wrong. Right?
1: Yeah, and for me, the the impulse to shame others, I feel my own shame driving it. Mm. Right, like, um, and and you know even. I feel shame. So I I posted this podcast that you mentioned with with Josh and Dustin on YouTube. I started getting comments. I got some I got a couple of comments that were very, very negative. I saw them as bigoted, hateful, Mm. ignorant. And they still I could still feel shame. Like Mm. somebody doesn't like me. Mm. Like I turned that around into, well, good. I yeah. don't want that person to like me. Sure. You know, but but actually in my body reading anything negative about me, yeah. It creates this impulse and I think, you know, what what I've done, I think what a lot of people do is that we insource shame. Mm. Yeah. Right. So I was um I was listening to uh, Dr. Gabor Maté talking about the physiology of shame that when a mother and an infant are having eye contact, the infant will break off the eye contact to avoid overstimulation, and the infant is fine. If the mother breaks off eye contact, the infant will go into a shame response, hmm. since he sees it as a as a uh, a reaction a physical reaction to loss of attunement. Sure.
0: Yeah, loss right. of reassurance.
1: Yeah. Like we need, you know, we need to, as you said, we like empathy is the strongest human emotion. Possibly we need other people. Yeah. And especially when our circuits are being laid down, when we're babies, we absolutely not, not metaphorically, we absolutely need other people. Yeah. Um, So, so I've always thought of guilt and shame, like touching the hot stove, Mm. right? It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a thing that you do for a second for an instant hmm. that allows you to you know it's it's inhibitory yeah it allows you to stop and learn something and take d- a different action hmm. um but i find for, you know for, for in me and in lots of people it just becomes cyclical and it ends up perpetuating negative behaviors rather than solving them
0: so this brings us to the question of what do we do about all this right so even given that we have this knowledge and insight about our own bodies and our own brains and our own tendencies to react to people, right? It's it's kind of a little bit like meditators who sit for long periods and gain key insights about themselves and then go home and immediately shout at the wife and kick the dog, you know, stuff like that. You <laughs> know, it's just like just because you know something, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to act on it. It's particularly if the same pressures are holding true, right? And Lord knows the, the pressures are all holding true. They're not going anywhere, right? It's not like to whatever extent you believe systemic racism exists it's not going to suddenly evaporate one way or the other tomorrow and covid is not going to clear itself up in some magical puff of smoke no matter what anybody in the administration is telling you right it's not going away anytime soon and the economic problems that have been created by this aren't going anywhere going away anytime soon and we haven't talked about climate change that's another that's another one that i bracket in with this kind of this this dissonance of kind of knowing that you should be doing something, not quite knowing to the extent that you should acknowledge what's being told and the extent to which you should change your behavior. And then if somebody shames you into changing your behavior, like you should be composting all your food. It's so terrible that you use any plastic at all. Right. You, you end up just being like, mm. well, I can't be a terrible person. So screw you for trying to shame me. And now I'm going to buy plastic bottles right. and do things. Right. right. So it, it yeah, amounts to the same kind of thing. But-
1: yeah. And around that, like I see that a lot in the plant-based and vegan community. Mm. Um, and which I think is with this with sort of any community of, of purpose, where there's a mission to it, that there is, to the extent that we, as individuals, are not completely enlightened, yeah. we can posture with each other. Yeah. So, like, who's more vegan? Mm. Um, you know, some there's there's discussions where the plant-based people who are doing it for health and the vegan people who are doing it for the animals can can really uh, savage each other. <laughs>
0: So you get into this kind of intersectionality of veganism, right? It's just like, well, I've you know I'm tw- twelve levels down the virtuous scale to you, so I have a right to criticize everything you're saying, kind of thing.
1: Right, right. Yeah. What you're not a breatharian yet? You still rely on on carbon. <laughs>
0: yeah. Is that actually a thing, breatharian?
1: Really? <laughs> I've heard it. Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't I don't know <laughs> that anyone's not uh, you know sneaking Snickers bars at two a.m. But uh, <laughs> you know, but certainly like there's a hierarchy, like you know. Vegan, whole food, you know, vegetarian, t- vegan, whole food, plant-based, yeah. raw, high raw. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, Organic, high raw. Yeah. Organic, high raw. Um, intermittent fasting, eat one meal every three days. Sure. Right. And, you know, around with climate change, too. Like, there was a period in my life where I was just taking cold showers yeah. And, the you know, arguably the impact on climate was minimal, but the impact on me and the people around me was large mm. in a negative way because I was, you know, I was kind of toxic both mm. in my superiority and in missing a pleasure.
0: Yeah. And you and I guess there are corollaries to that as well with, with COVID, right? And degrees of self-isolation and mask wearing and stuff like that, right? And the, the complication with that is, is that it's a great deal easier for some people to self quarantine to isolate and to follow a lot of these measures than it is for others. That's the flat truth of it like some people before this were working two to three people facing jobs right and and earning a minimum wage on all of them before this started and so the suggestion that they can't go back to work that they can't um interact with people at any kind of level right and that there's not really much hope on the horizon we just have to wait for a vaccine and wait for the government to sort it out right putting a lot of trust in a system that doesn't seem to be working too well at the moment in the states anyway um that suggestion is quite cruel where whether for some people whose lives haven't changed very much who just were remote workers anyway they were just kind of they worked from home in like a you know a job which works with numbers or you know websites or something like that right their lives haven't changed appreciably they're still getting the money transfers they're still delivering their work via email or via spreadsheet or cloud-based stuff whatever it is right and their lives haven't changed, especially if they're living in a fairly nice situation and they can order out for groceries and Amazon stuff and things like that. It's like, they're like, what's the problem? Everybody should be able to self-isolate and self-quarantine. It's not a big Mm -hmm. deal. Um, And even like, I've seen the difference between people who have kids and people who don't have kids, right? People who don't have kids, it's like, yeah, me and the wife will stay in and this is great because we hardly get enough time to spend together like this and now we can work, we can put things away and we have all this time. People with kids are like, my life is over <laughs> i have to spend all of my time attempting to to juggle the responsibility of homeschooling my kids making sure that their needs are seen to making sure they're fed making sure that i can get some sort of social interaction for them so that they have some sort of education and development as they go and attempting to work while all of this is happening and keep you know keep the income coming in to support all these things and they're very different sets of motivators and at some point we just we default to the strongest motivator we have, right? We get to that hierarchy of needs thing. And if you get low enough, if you've got no income coming in, somebody's about to repossess your house, this is not happening in a widespread way yet, but it could, right? If the situation panned Mm -hmm. out indefinitely, once you get down to a certain precipice, a certain threshold, um, people will be... People won't care, and and I think we see this all even in the Black Lives Matter movement right. and that kind of stuff, right? It's like before you know, public assemblies, you had people that were decrying people who were assembling to protest um, the COVID mask bans and things, and like, oh look at these terrible people who are you know standing around with AR-15s and protesting the government. They're such idiots. They're going to infect other people. That kind of stuff. And then as soon as there is a important enough cause to warrant it, even if people weren't isolating and weren't distancing themselves and weren't wearing masks, it's like it doesn't matter. That's way more important than not spreading the virus. And that is, it's difficult because it's, there's some hypocrisy there, right? I'm not saying that it's not justified yeah. and I'm not saying this other stuff, but it, it it presents a double standard, which is not easy to resolve. And and the real resolution is, is just like we're all always subject to these double standards. We, we have a shifting set of motivations and priorities, depending on what's imminent and what's urgent and what we feel like we need for survival and health. If those needs get met, then maybe we can start to think about the larger needs of society and humanity and existential risks to the planet and our entire country later on. Mm-hmm. But most people don't think in those terms most of the time. And you can't blame them for that either, because that's the programming we have. And that's that's kept us alive a mm-hmm. very, very long time as individuals and species.
1: Right. So um, we, I have felt... Uh, without articulating it, you know, my, my behavior over the last several months has implied that the way to win, the way to solve these problems is to fight something or mm. fight somebody. And, and, and it's clear, well, as soon as I say it, that I don't believe that that's true.
0: Yeah.
1: And so, you know, you are a scientist, you're an expert on the physiology uh, and management of stress, yeah. and you're a martial arts instructor. Mm-hmm. So, if I want to get out of fight, yeah, um, what can I like, like, I truly believe that the way through is love,
0: mm. that
1: we're not going to solve any of these problems without love. Yeah. Um, right? Because people need safety in order to get out of fight or flight. And right, Like, I could go through the whole thing. But it just it just seems very clear to me. How do we work on ourselves? Because I could just see myself turning into a love warrior, berating mm. everyone who's not acting out of love. Sure. Yeah. Uh, how, what what are, what are the moves for for ourselves as individuals to begin to reduce the shame, the guilt, the fight or flight, the anger, the hostility, the the schismatism,
0: yeah.
1: and 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 find inner peace so that we can make the world a better place?
0: So simple, then. Really, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've got a, a, a pithy answer for that one. I can come on. Uh, yeah. I mean, in, like I said, there aren't any easy answers, but it's clear that if somebody's just telling you that the thing that you need to do right now is calm down, don't panic and stop feeling shame. It's not going to happen in the slap of, a, of of your fingers, right? It's just not because of all the things we've already talked about. There there are pressures and our bodies feel these things from the neck down. And we process them for historical reasons, for reasons associated with our upbringing and reasons that are valid in the perceptions of our brain and how we're looking at the world around us right now, right? Our brain is trying to make the best assessment it can of a very complex situation. So I think the first thing you have to do is, and your analogy to a fight is, is correct, right? If you want to win a fight, in at least in the, the way that I've been trained and most of the best martial artists that I know have been trained, the goal is not to wade in and be as aggressive as possible first, right? To come out blazing and just smash as hard and fast as you can and just be inhuman, right? That will only win you fights against people who aren't very smart and never had any opportunity to um, figure out anything themselves about how to defend themselves, right? More often than not, you just expend all of your energy. You're exhausted, you're angry, and you've made the other person angrier, and now they feel even more emboldened to fight you, right? So you can probably Mm -hmm. draw your own kind of psychological gallery there between how that works out in argument. So the first step, actually, in a in in winning, not winning a fight, but resolving a fight, let's put it that way, in resolving a situation, a conflict that's going to come up, whether it's physical or argumentative, is observing and allowing. It's literally acknowledging what's going on here, right? That initial step of denial, like how dare you, how dare the situation be like this? Poor me. Why is this happening to me? All of those things, right? None of them are helpful. The first thing you have to do is just try to see, uh, accept everything that's happening, right? So whether that means accepting that not everybody's playing by the same rules right now, that not everybody sees your point of view, accepting maybe that you don't have all the information yet. You don't know who to listen to about how to be a good anti-racist. You don't know, the concrete answers as to what's the best way to be somebody who's not super spreading COVID, right? The the science shifts and the recommendations shift over time. You don't have all the answers. You're functioning in uncertainty and you're trying to make the best of a really crappy situation, which is unfolding right in front of you, right? There's uncertainty there. You don't want to be there. And the first step is being like, yeah, that's exactly where I am right now. So you stop, you take Mm -hmm. a breath and you acknowledge all of those things. You acknowledge your part in it in getting to this place and getting to this conflict and you acknowledge the other person's humanity, right? And their empathy and what might be driving them towards it, like the lady in, um, who called on the birder, like you were saying, right? You try and accept the situation for what it is, first and foremost. To all our listeners and Systema fans around the world, NC Systema has moved all of our regular classes online, live streaming group classes via Zoom, most days at 6.30pm US Eastern Standard Time, plus daytime classes on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Sundays. Please consider this an open invitation for you and your students to join us for the duration of COVID to come together online and to keep our skills and our groups alive. Payment is on a sliding scale relative to where you're at and what you can afford. Visit ncsystema.com online to sign up today. Join us! Then you can say, all right, now I have to manage my panic because panic is not going to help. If I just freak out about all of these things coming in, if I start keep thinking about them in a ruminative, circular way, it's not going to help me make any choices or decisions that are going to benefit me or the other person. So once you've accepted the fact that there's a conflict there, then you, so- you start to calm yourself down and there's lots of techniques. There's breath work. There's, you know, um, specific, um, Ways of accessing your nervous system, lowering your blood pressure. We kind of talked about these in other podcasts, but we can redirect you towards my stress-proof course mm. and stuff like that if you want to, to learn more about that. Um, and I'm sure you have your own kind of methodologies that you recommend. Um, but drawing yourself out of that panic and yeah, recognizing that, that,
1: that- I just mm. I just steal them from you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'd rather send people to the source.
0: There we go. We're repurposing it will find its way back. Um, <laughs> and that, so you don't, at that point, you can be like, okay, I've acknowledged everything. I don't want to feel the panic and the terror and nor do I want to feel the shame and the valence of those is kind of similar, right? And so trying to feel and mm-hmm. let go of those things first of all, right? Um, and deal with the situation that's right in front of you, right? So that might help you deal with an individual instance, right? An argument with somebody, a potential argument with a family member um, or a potential response you're about mm-hmm. to tap out to flame somebody online or something, but it won't help you in the long term. I, I honestly believe yeah. the most important thing we can do right now is alternate consciously, between periods of work and learning and periods of rest and contemplation. I think that's the, the most important thing we can do. I think if we just check out and try and rest all the time and just kind of you know self-regulate and then we don't do any work, we run the risk of not being helpful in this situation, of not doing things, not learning enough in order to be helpful. In combating the problems that are there, the issues, not the people, but the, the net issues, right? So we do need to do the work, but we don't have to do it 24 hours a day. And we don't have to feel guilty for not doing it 24 hours a day. We actually have a responsibility to ourselves to spend good amounts of time resting, contemplating, calming down so that we can go back to these issues in a useful way that doesn't breed conflict. Do you know what I mean? So it's, mm. it's, 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 I think an iterative pattern of work, do the work. Rest, contemplate, recover. I think it's essential now. And I think people are going one of two ways. They're either vegging out and doing all the rest right? on Netflix and not engaging with anything and shutting down, or they're doing all the work and they're doing it to such an extent that they're getting angry, they're getting, they're feeling ashamed and they're shouting at each other mm-hmm. on Facebook or, you know, almost coming to blows over the whole thing. So I think that's, it might sound simple, but I think that, that pattern, that iterating wave of activity is probably the most people, more, most important thing people can commit to right
1: now. Do mm. so you have a couple of thoughts on that? One is that for me, doing the work of shouting on Facebook isn't actually work. Sure. Like it's it's not um, sure. like the, the amount of, of work. Like when I like, you know, I think one of the issues that especially people who are new to the topic face is like, what what is the work? Yeah. Right, what what do I do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that comes right. into
0: that comes into acknowledging facts, right? So, if you in the first phase of that, if you acknowledge that you don't know enough to do the work, then your first step should not be wade onto the internet and start arguing with people with the limited amount of information you have. It should be go right to the source of whatever facts you think might be available, and then get them as highly corroborated as they are. There's, unfortunately, there's there's a tendency at the moment, especially in America, to live in this kind of alternative post fact world where whoever has the strongest mm. opinion is uh, the dominance of opinion wins out in a kind of meme war or something like that, right? But it's really important, I think more than ever now, to go to the sources of facts and sort of say, what do we actually know about COVID and how to spread it and how not to spread mm. it? What do we actually know about the extent of racism in America, right? Not what um, this this guy says is not happening, and nor should it be what this one guy says is happening, right? You, we talked briefly about... Um, Robin D'Angelo and her book, White Fragility, which is super popular right now and you know and it's basically all about shaming white people into understanding the systemic racism and and we're not doing enough to combat it right, but the problem with that approach is is that it it doesn't it, it doesn't separate anything out from racism at all everything is potentially racist right um and then again also the the approaches it leaves you with very little to do except, except the original sin of being born white and having to deal with that every day in the tone for our sins, right? So I'm not saying that, that there's not value in reading that, but there's probably a great deal of value in reading other things by black authors and other hmm. things by other white authors who are like, this might not be the best approach to, to understanding the problem. And there might be limits to systemic racism within the police. And there might be limits to systemic racism within our governmental system. And some of these might be being mistaken for racism when they're actually just power struggles or it's just straight inequality or haves and have nots you know it's like not everything points to the same to the same source sometimes and it's important to read as much as we can to understand that before we just start arguing from a viewpoint whether it's how dare you i'm not a racist Mm. or i'm the biggest racist ever and so are you and we both need to acknowledge that now right it's it's how you you need to there Mm. needs to be some gathering period so the work for me isn't arguing it's learning as much as possible it's learning as much information Mm. as you can about covid about climate change about racism right and just going back to that source but then again that's exhausting just that that effort of learning what you can um weighing it against what you thought you knew and the dissonance that creates in your brain how uncomfortable you feel with the truths that you might learn there that's an exhausting process so you still have to go through these waves of learning Mm -hmm. and resting learning and resting right
1: So, And what I find the value of resting is, for me, is it's not necessarily a checkout, although I certainly have times where I just check out. Um, But what it does is it it allows me to do something, I think, even before the allow, observe and allow, which is to decide what's the outcome I'm going for. Because in the moment, the outcome I'm going for is to win the fight. Hmm. But I mean, I, I remember you telling me a story once about like a a bar fight that you prevented from happening. And I'm like, boy, if I were Glenn and I was as good at martial arts, I would just want to like dust it up once in a while. Just to, sure. yeah. you know.
0: And there was a part of me that wanted there was a part of me that really wanted to. And and he was like a really clearly <laughs> not a very nice person, like clearly like bigoted and awful. And I kind of wanted to teach him a lesson. But that wasn't the outcome. Right. That wasn't the intended outcome. You're right. Yeah.
1: Right. So to be able to say, okay, so the, the outcome I wanna I want here is not to be right, mm-hmm. not to be validated, not to be approved of by the in crowd, mm. or the people whom you know, I, I feel I'm inferior to in some way by virtue of history, whether ancestral or personal. My the outcome I want is increasing sanity, peace, understanding, love, because that's how humans solve problems. Yeah, like like at that point, things don't have to look like a fight.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. That seems to. In much the way that one of my teachers um in russia Mikhail bryabko once um he shared a, a quote online this um this last week which was to the tune of i can't remember the exact quote but it's like where there is love there can be no fear right that you have to mm. you have to come from a place of overwhelming love in order to hold fear at bay you know that it's that you have to you have to fill that space with positive pressure um in order not to allow the fear to get in right you don't do it once you you do it over and over and over again right you have to rekindle this power and this positivity in yourself to make yourself strong enough to hold the fear at bay and I, and it it takes a it takes an enormous amount of internal strength i think um to be able to do that to be able to hold yourself off and and what we're seeing is um and, and this is getting onto another topic i i don't think that modern north american society at least is set up in a way that it helps us to build that kind of strength, right? I, I think it's it's showing in much the same way that COVID and like, um, and our, our response to it is showing that we were woefully unprepared in terms of, Warnings and infrastructure and communication and things ways of dealing with this kind of thing right it's showing the the weak links in the chain that would mean if there was something Ebola like that hit us tomorrow we would be done for right Right. um, it would be absolutely done for it's showing like how underprepared we are I think that this is showing us the fact that we've ballooned into this cataclysm of criticism and emotional response as a whole society right for the most part reveals that we're on some fundamental level, not that strong and easily manipulated, right? That, that we need to work more on strengthening ourselves from the inside out in order to be more decent, more compassionate people, right? And that we have to cultivate that inner strength and positivity in order to hold ourselves against that when it happens, because it's going to happen, right? Um, and I don't think society is conducive to that, right? Whether you want to pin it on the meritocracy or you want to pull it pin, pin it on the individualism that's so rife here, right? That's just, I've got mine, you've got yours. If I pull myself up by my bootstraps, then that proves how successful I am. And if somebody else is not as successful as me, it proves that they're just lazy or they didn't do the work or whatever it's going to be. Do you know what I mean? There's something mm. wrong fundamentally with that viewpoint, I think. Um, and I don't think I realized that until this point. But if you hold that alone without a sense of duty and responsibility and without a sense of empathy and humanity and concern for what's happening to everybody else, um, you can't have just rights and and trying to express and force them on other people without that counterbalancing of duty, responsibility, and empathy, and compassion. I, and I think that what we're seeing is that that's not cultivated very much <laughs> in our society. <laughs> some people have decried it like, you know, some people on the right will say that's because of a lack of religion. We don't have enough moral ethics anymore that come from religion. And so people have collapsed that way. Some people on the other end will say it's collapsed because of divisions and um, and you know worshiping of money and and wealth over other things right so there's different arguments for why we've got to that place but it's clear that what we've got right now isn't quite working and that people like you and I are having to draw on other disciplines like right, draw on other traditions and draw on other ways of thinking about things in order to combat this deficiency mm. this individual and societal that we yeah. can see right now
1: yeah, I guess you know the human being evolved in a communitarian environment. Yeah, right. Where it was it was easy to be a co- contributing member of your tribe of 120. Yeah, yeah. Right, and it's really hard to to be a contributing member of this society where I don't even know most people. Sure. Uh, yeah. Who you know who live on my street. Yeah. Um. You know, and precisely at this time when when it feels that like we're so fractured, mm. we have to socially distance yeah because I know because I know like the, the the best thing for me is to is to be in the presence of other people who've done more work than I have yeah right like then I I entrain and I get on their vibrational level and I'm like oh okay I remember who I am now yeah um and the fact that we, you know that social media is not a neutral platform yeah right it's 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 an engine for outrage and hate because that makes more money for for the advertisers
0: yeah yeah um, yeah so when we say take a rest, definitely take a rest from social media is included within that bracket <laughs> I, think, I think regular periods of not doing it i have i've i mean, I recommend this on my stress proof courses to people. I actually had to in- include an entire extra piece on it um relating to technology. I used to talk about the big um the big four of behavior change where people slip up with regard to stress, which is uh diet uh sleep movement um and then focus right and then I realized that um focus is kind of split and it's so much of it is split due to technology and social media and internet enabled devices that it requires almost its own category so now i've kind of got focus and connection as two separate things and now there's big five right hmm. <laughs> it's become such a huge thing so that's and the thing that i recommend and that i use myself is it, it seems daft and you shouldn't have to use it but i literally have a app blocking app on my phone that i subscribe to. not screen time because you can sub subvert it you know circumvent it too easily all that kind of yeah. stuff but what i find what i like about it is that it allows you to just set an entire time period during which you have no access to any of these things and then it it shares across all of your devices so you can't just cheat and pick up an ipad or pick up a phone or pick up a laptop or something instead and then it does it for a prescribed time period so i'll often do it at nine in the morning and set it that it doesn't let off until 11 at night. And then usually by the time it's 11 at night, I'm exhausted and I don't feel like looking at Facebook anyway, and I'll leave it alone, right? (laughs) And that kind of stuff, right? So by blocking yourself out for that period, then you're fine. And then if you get to the weekend, you're like, no, I want to catch up with what friends and family are doing, see some photographs. You can allow yourself a bit longer or something, but if you can take that kind of slippery slope. But for some people, it's as simple as just... You know, going back to a crappy flip phone or putting the phone in the bread bin all day or something. You know, it's, you have to go. Like, you have to go cold turkey to get around it. But if you have to use it for work or something like that, or you need to check in with people to advertise things on Facebook, um, then I can. I, I think that kind of self-limiting constraint can be really, really helpful in enforcing rest. Right? It's like setting aside a time to do meditation or setting aside a time for exercise. If you don't create the time in the space. You don't have that commitment device. You probably will falter right at some point during the day when you get stressed out. So I found that really, really right. helpful for carving out Right.
1: Time. Well, you know, uh, alcohol and cocaine don't get any smarter at mm. keeping you addicted, mm. right? But the internet, Facebook does. Yeah, that's true. Google does. Yeah. So and and you know, like I'm. Well, it happens to other people, but not me. Like sure. I'm too smart for that. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy thought.
0: But one parting thought, I think, to go with, though, I think I, I've, yeah, it's, it's very easy to go into a, a spiral on this again, um, which comes back to that kind of shame response of like, am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Should I be aggressive about the people that are telling me that I'm not doing too much? Um, and the tendency in the midst of all of that is just to kind of shrink and be like, well, it's kind of hopeless. I can't change systemic racism on my own. I can't change how quickly this country recovers from covid i can't change how quickly the world recovers from climate change you know i have very little agency in the world right it's easy to kind of mm. sink into that belief and and into apathy and into depression and and fatigue and a lot of other things that come along with it physiologically right and that's not going to be helpful uh, in the long term i i think whether or not whether or not you believe it's going to happen very very soon or whether you believe it's going to happen over over a few torturous years or whatever it's going to be, there's no doubt that a lot of the things that we're seeing and questioning right now, they didn't just spring up with COVID, right? The the brokenness of our healthcare system and our unpreparedness to deal with something like this has been something people have been warning about for decades, um, the systemic racism and the problems of inequality in America have been something people have been talking about for centuries right so it's yeah. uh, and climate change has been around at least since the 50s as a concept right and and it's gone in and out of favour and it becomes more or less important to people depending on what else is going on in the news but none of these issues sprung out of nowhere all that's happening is is that we're reaching a kind of crucible a, a kind of precipice and and I think there's a very real hope that forcing us to kind of look at this very very closely and forcing us to do something about it in a short period of time has the hope of us coming out of this and into something else i I don't think the american experiment is over right it's um it's we've found out a few things that didn't work right and and in the spirit of science we have to sometimes change the goals and we have to change the way that we're looking at things and reframe the question um we've we've you know we've validated a few null hypotheses here, and it's time to try and look at a few new ones and then see what we can do to go forwards. And I think we can do that in our own lives in a small way. And I think there's a hope for it happening on a larger scale, right? I realize I've made this a little bit America-centric, and we might have listeners all over the world. But I'm sure that other people are thinking similar things in some other places. It's just it's just more desperate and immediate here at the moment. So.
1: Right. Well, Leonard Cohen said uh, – he wrote a song called Democracy, and he said, it's coming to America first, the birthplace of the best and of the worst – Nice. So, yeah. So uh I think we we're we 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 tend to be uh behind a lot of important curves but also ahead of a lot of them. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um I mean what comes to me when you say that is you know like to, the pressure that I put on myself to save the world hmm. um is a, a a podcast guest I had a while back Charles Eisenstein talks about the dangers of thinking in scale. Like like what I have to, I have to you know, reach a million people, I have to start the next big startup. And and he said, like, think about Nelson Mandela's grandmother, mm. who essentially raised him to be the sort of person who could come out of jail after 27 years with love.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm. start small and do what you can, right? So.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, <clears throat> we're talking about this next election, right, mm. there'll, be, there'll be about 100 million votes cast, mm. there'll be 100 million Individual votes cast, hmm. right? Like the the unit of change is is individual. Sure. And, and I think by by imbo- by embodying the fighting spirit, like I'm going to fight for this and fight for that and fight fight against this and fight against that. I think we're we're um, perpetuating the same energy hmm. that that caused many of the problems.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. So wise words, my
1: friend. Uh, well um one question uh what's the name of the app so i can put it in the show notes for people who want to take control of their tech life
0: oh yeah the one i use is called freedom it's great freedom. Uh, you, yeah you i think you can subscribe monthly or you can get like a lifetime forever subscription for a, for less than 70 bucks and i've i swear by it, i think it's i think it's phenomenal and you can also okay. um for those with kids and stuff like that you can also uh blanket your um your spouse or your kids' phones and devices all <laughs> with one touch. You can right. go beep can put it on different lists and things like uh. that. So so it will make you the least popular person in the house, but you'll be doing the right thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool. And also your stress-proof course. Tell, tell us a little about that.
0: Yeah, um, so this was um, a course that was previously running as a three-day retreat uh, or a half-day workshop live and in person with people breathing on each other and pushing and pulling and touching and all kinds of wonderful things that we don't have the luxury of doing right now. Um, so it's been reimagined and recast as a 30-day online course. Um, so we're just in the po- process of kind of polishing off the first test cohort that have been through it, and they seem to be enjoying themselves and getting some real benefits. So um, so by, hopefully by the end of the month, that should be available for people to sign up for um and they can find out about that at stressproof.net so.
1: great and do you have a uh, like an email catch, sign up sh- so that people don't have to remember to come back at the end of the month
0: sure yeah if they would just want to get kind of on the newsletter and get updates as to so that they can get on the waiting list for the first um for the first real paying cohort of people that go through um it's it's the same almost the same address as info at stressproof.net
1: Okay, so they can just send you an email, and they, that'll get them on the mailing list.
0: Yeah, just, a, just info at stressproof.net and just say, hey, I'm interested in the stressproof course, and from there, I'll just put them on the on the constant contact list. That, um, I won't bug you with lots of emails because I don't have a lot of content, so it's fine. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just send you things when things are happening, and you'll have the option of signing up or not. So
1: Awesome, and that's anywhere in the world, right? It's not, it's not a local thing.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's anywhere in the world. There, there is a interactive aspect to it. We don't just set people. It's kind of like an online university course uh, where people have like a little bit of drip fed work to do every day. It's about five minutes, five to ten minutes of reading, and then five to ten minutes mm-hmm. of doing, like um, videos, instructional things that you do physically to take control of your stress response. The idea is to kind of increase your knowledge of how stress happens, to increase your awareness of how stress manifests in your body and in your life in terms of behaviours, um, and then to uh, apply controls and those control measures are through physical controls like uh, concrete things that you can do to gain control of your stress response in the moment and also long-term controls like habit fixes that nudge you towards being less stressed out anyway um so it's the, the combination of the knowledge awareness and control come together in a in a mm-hmm. trifecta of making you a lot more stress-proof And that, that's the idea of it
1: awesome and that's um ba- ba- basically um you know, how, how to be how to self-regulate is kind of the first res- responsibility of an adult human.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And th- it culminates in basically routines that you can apply every single day and you custom you customize them and make them for yourself. So it's not um, prescriptive. I don't give you all these things you have to do every day. I give you a menu of things and then you go away and you choose from the menu, um, knowing that you have to have some sort of stress proofing meal today, right? <laughs> some sort mm-hmm. of work that you have to do, but you choose the meal um, and mm-hmm. then at the end of the course, it kind of ties everything together into a solid ability to self-regulate yourself. And then it also um, hints at the possibilities of being able to co-regulate other people as a result. So um, this can be really helpful for parents, for teachers, for managers, for anybody who has to deal with people on a daily basis, which is most of us, um, who not only want to be more stress-proof themselves, but um, want to kind of um, have that courage and strength become contagious and help other people to be stronger and and less stressed in their lives too
1: awesome awesome i've been waiting a long time for this as you know yeah yeah Yeah, i'm excited uh... about it
0: yeah one good thing about covid it it drove me indoors and forced me to finish the damn course so it's (laughs) it's, that's one good thing i've written several books this way as well when i had no choice but to do something else So, so there we go
1: Awesome. Well, and I, and I and I finished The Americans on Netflix. So, uh, <laughs> Great. So, so we we both had a fruitful uh, quarantine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Glenn Glenn Murphy of StressProof.net. Thank you as always. For, oh, thank you,
0: Howie. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you
1: for all for all you do. Thank you, Mike. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops and seminars at NC Systema, please visit us online at www.ncsystema.com.